This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 83 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell, and I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And, uh, Hello, everybody. I, I think there's a little bit of a delay. Did you hear me? I did. Can you? But you came in a little bit late. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually here at ng-nl, and the conference is about halfway through. It's a one-day deal, and they wanted us to do a live podcast episode, so I thought that we could just talk about the conference and some of the things that I saw and some of the things that are interesting uh, going on here at the conference. So I did miss the first talk, but uh, the second talk I went to was actually done by Taro, I forget his name, Paravinen and something. Yeah, he, I, I think, uh, he's one of our authors on the uh, on the Angular documentation team, and yeah. he's been very active in ng upgrading. Yeah, and he actually uh, did a talk on that, and it was it was really interesting. We should get him on to talk about ng upgrade and ng update and some of that stuff. But a lot of people are really interested in how do I get my Angular One app up to snuff with Angular Two and and move ahead in the things that are going on in the Angular Two world. So he talked about how you can pull in uh, ng upgrade, and then it, you know he showed us how to sort of piecemeal upgrade your application. It was really really interesting to see how that all hangs together. Yeah, and I because the people I talk to, you know, it's kind of like, should I do it at all? Should I stay the course? What are the what are the forces that would drive a business to make that decision? And it's not crystal clear uh, for anybody why they would make a move from one thing um, to another. So, uh-huh. I, uh, did he talk about that at all, or do you have a sense of it? Uh, he talked a little bit about that. Mostly, he talked about the tombstone talks and just basically said, so a lot of people thought there wasn't going to be a path to migration, which wasn't what they said in that talk. But, you know, he pointed out that the one of the main things is that you get the event emitters and uh, some of the other nice things that come out of the Angular 2 services and how they work. And so 
by moving up to Angular 2, you're getting all the, the nice things that you get just as part of the framework. And so those upgrades make it a little bit more reactive and make it work a little bit better for people who are working in an Angular application. And the fact that you can set things up and run them side by side and write your new stuff in Angular 2 and as you go update the other stuff to work with Angular 2, it, it made a lot of sense in the way that you would kind of approach it one, one page or one component or one piece at a time and move ahead from there. That, make, that makes sense. I mean, from a technology perspective, it just makes so much sense yeah. uh, the more you know about Angular 2. Uh, it's just uh, uh, the, the quandary is how to turn that into business sense, particularly when you're a huge body of uh, existing Angular 1 code and having to make decisions and trade-offs daily between new features and uh, that, that your business is requiring and trying to get on board uh, the next train. So, uh-huh. <laughs> and I hear that tension wherever I go, and there's not an obvious answer to it. And certainly, um, the strides made in NG upgrade are meant to make it easier to get on the next train. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to see if I can track Taro down and get him on the show because I think he can explain it a lot better than I can. And uh, I think it'd be really interesting to just dig into that and see what the options are for getting from Angular one to Angular two and really understanding uh, some of the strides forward you can make with that. So what's the hallway assessment? You know, uh, there's what everybody says up on the podium, but as you as you wander around, what's on people's lips? So uh, most of the people I'm talking to, they're pretty excited about uh, Angular 2 and what it has to offer. They're excited about, you know, the way things are moving forward. I, I know Rob is giving a talk about reactive uh, Angular 2. In fact, there are a couple of them in here about reactive or uh, RxJS or, you know, things like that. So it's it's really exciting to see a lot of that moving. Uh, there's Angular and Relay, which was a talk this morning that I wished I had gone to, but I didn't. And that's kind of where people are talking is just, you know, how do I build the apps that I need and how can I use these up-and-coming technologies as they work with Angular to make them work for me? That was Rob Wormel. Yeah. And then in general, people are just happy to be here and be able to talk with other Angular developers. But but yeah, there's a lot of excitement about Angular 2 as well. So Who is the organization behind the talk, the conference and, and how does it, you know, who's uh, who's attending? Do you have a sense of that? Most of the folks here are from Europe. Um, I've met a few people who came in from like Belgium or uh, France or uh, Pascal Precht came in from Germany. Um, overall, you know, most folks here only had to travel a few hours to get here. So there, there are quite a few people here from Netherlands, but there are a lot of people from other parts of Europe as well. So the company organizing it is uh, Zebia or Zebia. I'm not quite sure how to say it. That's X-E-B-I-A. Dot com. Yeah, they pulled this together. It's kind of an interesting format conference. When I showed up, they gave me my badge and then said, okay, go in there. You can check your coat if you have one, which I didn't. Uh, I was just wearing a hoodie. But uh, anyway, so you can check your coat and then you have to pick up headphones. And so the hallway track is actually taking place in the same room as the presentations, the big room for the presentations. And uh, if you want to listen to the talk, you put your headphones on. Otherwise, you just walk around and, and chat with other folks. And so it's it's kind of an interesting conference. And then they've got a whole bunch of, they're, they're the kind of chairs you would kind of picture in somebody's kitchen around their living room table or their kitchen table. 
and uh, they've just got rows of those and then pillows on the stairs, you know, down into kind of the well where the stage is. And then behind it, they've got basically different bars for the different sponsors. And so, yeah, so you can go and get refreshments whenever. And they've got like a cafe where they're, you know, they're serving all kinds of different coffees and teas. They've got a cocktail bar and another bar. And anyway, it, it's been really, really interesting because effectively, if you want to go participate in the hallway track, you just take your headphones off and walk to the back of the room. And uh, then you can chat with folks. And then when you're done, you can put your headphones back on and you can hear what the speaker's saying. So the speaker's speaking into a microphone in the front of the room, but it's not going out over a PA system. So anyway, so the, the hallway track just happens wherever you happen to run into people. So there's a heavy emphasis on participation. That it, yes. it does sound a little a little rough on the speaker, having been a speaker there, where I'm really interested in seeing people's reactions and trying to get questions and things. Uh, yeah, most most people who are listening to the talks are sitting in the chairs in front of the speaker, so you know there is kind of an area for that. But yeah, it's it's very much geared around going and meeting folks and getting you know getting to see who's around and you know. You don't have to go very far in order to find a conversation to join. Is there a sense of um, of a rivalry among frameworks? Is that on people's list? I haven't really heard a whole lot uh, about that. People seem to be pretty open to embracing the good parts of whatever they're seeing. So, uh, you know, there are a few talks about different aspects that have come out of the React community. You know, I haven't really heard anyone talking much either way about like Aurelia or Ember or anything like that. Uh, I did have a conversation yesterday with Igor and Pascal and uh, Patrick Stapleton. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we all were ta- chatting about it. And, you know, there are definitely some feelings about Rob, but nobody really had anything negative to say about Aurelia. And so it was it was really interesting just to, you know, to hear those conversations. But, yeah, for the most part, um, if anything, there's a bit of camaraderie between the different frameworks and, Everybody's at least here seems pretty open to picking up the best parts of those and incorporating incorporating them into what they're doing with Angular. Is there a, a talk on the agenda that's got your attention that's coming up? The one that I wanted to see, I saw that was the ng upgrade talk. There was a talk about how to write a library for Angular two by Olivier Combe. He does the um, Angular Air podcast now, and that was also very interesting. Having spoken with Rob about Reactive Angular two. I'm really curious to see what he presents on that. But yeah, there's one here on rendering Angular that I'm really interested in. And then, yeah, I, I don't know. There's also one on time traveling Angular. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with some of the React or Relay type things. And so I'm interested in that as well. It's, it, I, think it's, I think it's probably going to be functional reactive programming with Angular 2. And I'm kind of interested in, to see what that is and how they make that work. That's kind of where I'm at with, with any of the talks that are coming up. I think for the most part, though, the one that I was most interested in it has already been given, and that was the NG Upgrade talk. Are you giving a talk, Chuck? No. Nope. This is the thing that they brought me here for. So, no, I'm not giving the talk. I'm not giving a talk here. I did have a few uh, conversations with folks about giving talks at other conferences, and so I, I definitely have some ideas of talk a talk I want to give at, like, Angular Connect. But as far as uh, this conference goes, no, I'm not speaking. Do you have uh, one of the questions that I have is how many people are feeling like developing Angular in TypeScript versus 
regular ECMAScript script five versus trying to go direct to ECMAScript script six and avoid, uh, you know, and use Babel or something like that. Is there a sense for that? I haven't gotten a good sense of that. Um, it seems like as far as the talks go, a lot of the talks are using TypeScript, but I don't know if that's a good indication of what people are actually using now. Uh, I definitely would be interested to ask around and see. But again, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I get a good sampling from this group or not because it, it is a relatively small conference. Yeah, I don't have a sense of it just more broadly. And from the documentation perspective, we've taken something of a gamble in, in saying that as we, you know, we're going to lead with TypeScript and then circle back to hit the other languages. And we're hoping that makes sense to people and isn't too off-putting if you're it's an interesting thing to really consider, you know, are people using TypeScript or are they using ES6 or ES5? My experience is that the people who go to the conferences are usually the people who are more involved in the community anyway. And so I don't know that even if you could talk to all the people at the conference, if you would really get a good feel for where people are and what they're going to use uh, with Angular 1 or Angular 2. I think there are a lot of people out there that work for companies either building, um, you know, internal applications or you know, other things, and they're effectively dark matter developers, as uh, Scott Hanselman calls them, and uh, they're just going to use whatever they're using, and they're not really going to be out at these things, you know, learning what the Angular core team or, you know, the people who are involved in the conferences are really talking about. So it's, it's I, I don't know that you're ever going to get a good measure of that, per se. Yeah, you know, I, I'm on the fence on on how to how to even regard the dark matter uh, developers because, you know, we think of them as just uh, off on their own and going their own way. But actually, I think they take their cue from the thought leaders from the people who attend conferences. They're, they lag, and because they can't necessarily pull their organizations around, but they actually do. You know, they do listen and they do move uh, so and besides they're the best we got yeah i'm not i'm not trying to disparage them in any way i'm just saying um if i'm gonna get a sampling at the conference i'm not gonna get a lot of those people and know what they're gonna what they're planning on using or anything like that but uh it's definitely interesting and yeah i think you're right i think a lot in a lot of cases they either take their cue from that or as they move into things like angular 2 what they wind up doing is just doing whatever the documentation says or, you know, whatever the code samples on Stack Overflow say and uh, yeah. going that way. So, And that is actually, if I may say, I think that's the smart move because if, if you don't have a lot of time to make to stay right on the edge of it, then following in the footsteps of others who have been there before you is, is the smart move. Yep. At least that's what. I like to think I do the smart move, and that's what I do. I watch what other people who yeah. have time do. Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting to me is, but I don't see the pushback. In other words, once somebody has tried, um, I, I you know, every once in a while I see these comments like, if it if it ain't plain JavaScript, I ain't doing it. Uh -huh. But I don't really know how firmly they hold to that. And I don't know anybody. What I'm looking for is anybody who says, man, I've tried that TypeScript stuff, and I hate it. Haven't heard it, not once. No, I haven't either. I've talked to a few people who... Uh have tried ES6 and didn't like it and moved back, but I haven't I haven't heard that about TypeScript itself, so I don't know. It, it'll definitely be interesting to see what the adoption curve is and where people kind of come down on this stuff as time goes on. I think if there's uh, controversy brewing, it, it's it's around and head scratching. It's around the reactive stuff. I'm so glad that Rob is 
is there at that conference to fly the flag for it. I find myself alternately charmed and repelled by it, which, you know, I mean, I love, I love being pulled, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, having something to butt my head against, as you know. Yeah. And I just, uh, you know, if I was to guess, I would think that that, and it sounds like it in the conference agenda, that that, that whole question of how reactive to be and how functional to be is a pretty uh, potent topic. I think some of it comes from the discussions that people are having around React and Elm and some of these other technologies. And people hear about the benefits and they want to see if they actually work out with Angular or not. And then um, I think some of it is that people hear claims one way or the other and they want to know if they're substantiated. Um, I think there are also people out there that, you know, they, they jump in with both feet because they hear good things about it and they they kind of champion it without understanding it. And so... Um, because we have all of these different groups out there, it's hard to know which ones that are out there kind of, as you put it, flying, you know, flying that banner are out there flying the banner because they've tried it, they get it, they see the benefits, they've actually, you know, proven that it works, works out for them, you know, and solve some of their problems, uh, versus, you know, somebody going out and basically fanboying about something that they don't completely get. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen things go that way with just about every technology that I've heard championed, you know, where somebody gets out there, they really get it and they've really benefited from it. And then somebody else goes out there and they use it for everything because that's what their hero told them to do. And, you know, so you go try it in your use case and it turns out not to be a good fit. And then you're like, okay, well. It, you know, it's not the thing. And then in other cases, it turns out that it does work out. So I'm curious to see where, you know, where the proof winds up coming from in some of these uh, functional and reactive paradigms and, and just figuring out, okay, you know, these are the circumstances where this paradigm really pays off. And here's some instances where, you know, maybe it just complicates your life, even if you do get a, a moderate performance increase or not from it. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, it's going to come down to a productivity question. Am I, am I able to write more maintainable, more productive code yeah. in a reactive style where the claims have been most, are most interesting? I don't think it's going to turn out to perform better. I'm pretty sure it's not going to come down to that. It's going to come down to whether your code is cleaner, more maintainable, whether you can be more expressive, whether you can communicate more effectively. Uh -huh. um, those are the claims that I find it's easier to, to figure out where you're going wrong. Those are the claims I've heard that strike me as the the compelling ones. I mean, if I, if those things were true, I'd be really happy. And I can say this much from my dabbling with it, which is that it's real enough that I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and I was talking to him about... Uh, different backend technologies. And, you know, so we were discussing Node and Ruby and a whole bunch of other systems, PHP and Python. And my opinion in most of these cases is if it's fast enough, you know, because they knock a lot of these technologies for their speed implications. I was talking to Patrick, that's who I was talking to over breakfast yesterday. And they're like, well, those are slow, but if they serve up what you need served up fast enough, you know, then what it really comes down to is how quickly you can get your applications built. And if you really look at it, the cost of having maintainable code versus the cost of being able to serve more requests off your server, uh, more maintainable code will save you more money every time. 
because yeah. most companies are spending the majority of their money on payroll. It's their largest expense by far. And so if you can make your people more productive and either, you know, then have to pay fewer of them or get more work done by the people you have, then you're saving a ton more money. So even if uh, the functional or reactive or other paradigms are really that productive as far as, you know, being faster, if the other paradigm is fast enough, efficient enough, and uh, you can get more maintainable code out of it, that's where the real winning is. Yeah, we wouldn't even be talking about observables if we didn't, if we couldn't count on a certain level of hardware and software, you know, sort of operating system support for it under under yeah. the hood. I mean, it's un, it's unimaginable without uh, garbage collection, uh, for example, which yeah. we now just take for granted, but which was such a, an iffy proposition uh, earlier in computing history. But you're used to this argument also from being a Ruby fan. I yes. mean, that's your that's your pedigree, right? And yes, and that was always the knock on. Ruby, uh, and the counter argument was always, "Yeah, but I can, I can deliver the goods uh, yeah. while you're sitting there shaving, you know, trying to figure out what you're doing and getting anywhere close to the requirements, the things that make people happy. I'm already there with my Ruby thing, ha ha ha. So you enjoy your little argument about performance while I deliver the value. Yeah, well, and that's exactly the case, you know. And then if it doesn't perform well enough, then then you can figure those bits out. You know, you put caching on it and whatever. And, you know, you jump through those hoops, but yeah, you have something out there that people can use now. And, you know, ultimately, you know, folks don't care what it's written in. They just care that it loads fast enough on their phone. So it'll be interesting to see if, if the, the whole um, reactive movement can score points on the productivity uh, grounds. By the way, one of the things that I think that's probably worth saying is that the reactive movement has very little, as far as I can tell, to do with React. Or maybe you can correct me on that, but I uh, I don't see React itself as being, unless you want to talk about the one-way data flow, which I don't think is really what the observable stuff of, of the reactive movement is about. I don't see it as anti-reactive necessarily, but it doesn't it, just because it has the word react in it doesn't mean it's reactive, I guess is what I'm getting oh, at. Oh, yeah, totally. The you know the name of the framework and the term reactive are in my mind uh, two separate things react definitely has some interesting components to it some interesting uh paradigms that you use but yeah reactive programming itself is a completely different thing and react in no way embodies that or has the corner on the market on it do you have a feel for uh, at all for for whether the people who are attending come from? You know, are they professional developers working for business clients? Are they, you know, where what's their what kinds of problems are they trying to solve? Uh, as far as what kinds of problems they're trying to solve, most of the folks that I talk, I have talked to, you know, ask them what they do, and they, you know, they work for a you know small to mid sized company that has some kind of product that they put an angular front end on you know the one of the sponsors here is ing which i think is banking i think uh, zebia does uh, analytics or something if i remember right don't quote me on that because i'm not 100 percent sure but you know there a lot of them are doing things where they have applications where they need you know some reasonably you know responsive front end that does things that go a little uh, a little beyond just a simple application with forms and and things like that so you know they're they're displaying data and and you know munging data and figuring out how to you know show people the information they need 
Well, as long as I have you, Chuck, what was your road to Angular? How did you find your, your way here, and, and what keeps you here? I kind of dabbled in it a little bit, mostly because Merrick and Joe kept bugging me about it. I've done Rails for, what, 10 years? And HTML is okay, but it's not, it's, it's not by any means the best way of getting the pages to do what I want them to do. If you're just displaying data, then HTML is fine. But, you know, if you want your page to, you know, respond in specific ways, I, I didn't love the way that jQuery made me do it. Anyway, eventually I found my way into Backbone and Backbone just turned out to be a really nice way to organize my jQuery and uh, nothing really more than that. So I was still stuck in the jQuery DOM manipulation land. You know, it always felt like I was uh, hacking a little bit to, to get done what I needed to get done. And uh, a lot of folks in the Rails community, when Ember came out, moved over to that. And I just had never quite gotten around to it. And then, um, like I said, Joe and Merrick uh, really got into Angular. The JavaScript meetup in Utah really got to be a bit more about Angular, you know. And so Frosty, you know, was also involved in Angular. And so I kind of got into Angular seriously after we started the podcast. Because at that point, I felt like I needed to learn it. And the thing that keeps me here is partially the community and partially uh, just some of the exciting things that I can do now with, with Angular 2. I think Angular 2 is really the framework that I was looking for. Angular 1 was, was nice and it, it did what I wanted it to do. But even then, I felt like I still had to work around some of the bits that were, you know, not quite as nicely polished. And those being, I, I never really loved having the dollar scope. The way that I had to put together some directives to do some things that uh, were a little bit, maybe a little more complicated than I wanted them to be. I felt like I had to kind of uh, squint at some of the code there and it wasn't just, it just wasn't expre as expressive or nice as I wanted it to be. And looking at what Angular 2 offers now with components and directives and the way that they put together some of these other things, it's, it, it really is what I wanted it to be. And so that's what's keeping me now is that and just just the amazing people that I meet in the community. And I know that a lot of other programming communities have great people. I'm not trying to say they don't, but going to NGConf and seeing how passionate people are and how excited they are about what's coming out and seeing how the, the core team interacts with people who are involved in the, the project, even as just, you know, people using the, the framework, you know, all the way up to people who are contributing open source plugins and projects that relate to Angular. It's just been really, really awesome to see um, how great the community is. And the other thing that I really like about the community is just in general uh, how open people are about what they're working on and that nobody feels threatened when somebody comes up with a new idea, but rather that people go try it and embrace it if it's good. Um, it's something that I've really liked. You know, you see in other communities, you know, certain groups will go out and you know, they'll bag on anything that's not the blessed technology. And I just don't see that with Angular, which is very refreshing. No, it does seem very eager to share what, what people are doing. You know, what, you know, like, what am I doing? Well, you know, I don't know, but this is what I do. What do you think? And yeah. then somebody else says, yeah, you know, I kind of do that, but I never quite saw it that way. And there's this other thing that I've been hearing over this other community, and maybe we can use that. I, I sense that same dynamic going on all the time, and that is refreshing and, and makes you want to keep playing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
but yeah, as far as the technology itself, it's just it's very approachable and you know, it, it puts the things in front of me that I really need to see and it abstracts away the details that I don't need to see. Um, and then, but if I want to dig in and get to those particular details, those, those particulars about that particular component or directive or something else, uh, in Angular, it's not that hard to go find it. At least in Angular 2 is what I'm, what I'm feeling. So that's, that's something that I'm really digging. The other thing is, is that, uh, they've abstracted away enough details on things like views to where Angular can now be used to build mobile apps and things like that. And that's also interesting and exciting because uh, you can effectively use that technology as a semi-universal technology for whatever devices you want to build against. Well, as you're wandering the conference, I hope you'll be asking that question about why people are in it, what they like about yeah. the Angular community. Community, what they care to, to do about it, what keeps them coming? Because I think I, I think that's an important question that others would. I mean, let's face it, we, really, development is not. We, we may think of it as something that we do in the room late at night, all by ourselves, and, and I guess we do a lot of that. But uh-huh. but, uh, <laughs> but I think of it as a social practice as well. It's just something that I do in the, in the dark. It's it's definitely true. It's funny because um, I've talked to several people. And, uh, you know, over the course of my programming career, depending on which projects you were working on, you could get away with kind of disappearing for a week at a time or something and working on things. But now I, I really don't see that. I mean, you're building such complicated applications that have so many interactions between your different data models and things that if you get in and you can't communicate, you can't work well with a team, uh, your team is never going to accomplish what you have to put together. And unless you can work well with others, you're not going to be able to contribute to the team in a way that that means what it needs to mean for the company to make it worth it to keep you on. And so uh, your technical skills are definitely important, but your ability to work on a team, especially in these more complicated applications and, uh, you know, more interconnected applications, if you can't do that, then you're not qualified to work on that team, even if you have the technical chops to do the job. So overall, um, I'm just going to, you know, share. I, I have been walking around the city a bit and really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a beautiful city. And, you know, the conference has been a lot of fun. The big map for where everything's at in the conference actually says NG-NL Festival, which is kind of fun. So they've set it up as a festival, and it's it's been fun to just uh, hang out and chat with people as well as sit through some of the presentations. So, um, you know, I just kind of want to publicly thank the organizers and thank the city of Amsterdam because it's awesome. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to come back next year and, and see it again. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show. And we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? You want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 